Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and uh, the kingdoms of the world, so that we better understand the kingdoms of God. And uh, I was just uh, finishing a webpage that I just added. It's a topic that I've covered many, many, many times in uh, in Republic and in our article on democracies and... and uh, on the Declaration of Independence and all these different things. A lot of people, there was a debate going on in some Facebook group and somebody mentioned me. And uh, and uh, the individual actually said that he was a good friend of mine or I was a good friend of him. I'm not sure how he put it exactly because somebody recognized some of the things that he was quoting as the things that I have said. And um, so he uh, said that. So anyway, I got noticed. Because my name was mentioned, and so I went there and saw this big debate going on on Facebook uh, about America. And uh, I guess the original question is, America has never been a democracy. It has always been a constitutional republic. And that's actually not completely true, because it wasn't always a constitutional republic, at least as we think of the term. But uh, one of the problems that came up in this long string, usually sometimes people have these long strings of conversations with people, and this has become those people who watch me and watch what I do. <laughs> and I'll get on one of these things, and I'll post something, and that will end the conversation. <laughs> Nobody else posts anything after I post. It doesn't always happen that way, but there's quite a string of events where I went on and posted something and everything stopped. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. I didn't post anything mean or anything. I just, I just presented some facts. And the fact is the United States is not a republic. It has never been a republic. You All you have to do is know the definition of the word republic and know the definition of the word democracy and read the Constitution. Because the Constitution is not creating a republic. It is creating a indirect democracy. Uh, and so that's what, that was, that indirect democracy was created by the Constitution of the United States. And then, uh, it wasn't really actually created by the document. It was created by the acquiescence and by the participation of men who went and got elected congressmen and senators and went down there and sat down in Congress and in the Senate and and somebody elected a president and because they did all those things, the United States was created. Had nobody done that, there'd have been no United States. Uh, so it wasn't the document that created it, but the document set in motion the terms of that government, and that government, if you read it, is an indirect democracy. Now, America, what we call America, was a republic. The Indians had many republican values. We actually took some of uh, our republican values that were incorporated in the early American government. And we took them from the Indians because the Indians had a great influence on us. And we had a great influence on them. And that was also mentioned in the course of the conversation was... Uh, Indians, believe it or not, <laughs> because uh, they were saying that we all took the land from the Indians illegally. 
and that isn't necessarily true. I mean, certainly there were lands that were taken from the Indians illegally, uh, but that was after there was the creation of a legal system. And generally speaking, the Indians had very little legal systems in place. Uh, natural law was here. Uh, that's always here. You can't get rid of that. That just, that's natural law. Uh, I mean, even if you go out into outer space, natural law exists. But uh, legal systems, and what is legal and not legal, that you have to create a system, and then you have to get people to agree to that system, and then that becomes your legal system. Well, the Indians did that. And if you read, uh, we have an article up, Native American Confederacy, and it shows you one of their major, major legal systems and involved numerous tribes, five major tribes, and then eventually seven major tribes. And in the that supposed document, it wasn't really a document as we think of, although they have now translated what they had into a document. And according to that translation anyway, the Indians had included in their legal system the concept of manifest destiny. That if you don't agree with us and this document, the White Pine Constitution, they call it. They call it a number of different things. If you don't agree with that, we can fight against you. We can conquer you. We can take all your weapons away. We can take all your lands away. And we can even make you slaves. And we can even just annihilate and kill you. Now, that was supposedly in the original White Pine Agreement. And uh, according to the translators of it. And then if you want to go and read our article on that, we probably have some audios that where we cover that. And uh, you can go do that. But anyway, that's the Manifest Destiny uh, concept. They wrote that down. They accepted that. They operated by that. They conquered tribe after tribe who did not go along with them. And that's what happened to them. A bigger tribe came along and conquered them. So as you judge, so shall ye be judged. That's the law of nature. If you, What goes around comes around. You know, that's why all these orbits are circular. <laughs> uh, you know, Haley's Comet. It goes around, it comes around. So if you think it's okay to conquer your neighbor and take away from your neighbor... To force your neighbor to comply with what you think they ought to do. Somebody's going to come along and force you to do what you they think you ought to do. I mean, it's like, that's what's so bad about coveting your neighbor's goods. you got a lot more neighbors than you, <laughs> than there are of you. And so if you covet your neighbor, neighbor's goods, covet it, guess what? Your neighbor gets to covet your goods. And guess what? you got more neighbors, and they're going to take all your goods. They're going to take and take and take and take. And if you want to elect some ruler who will be real powerful and take for you so you can sit at home watching TV and drinking beer, and somebody else will take for you and then provide you with a check every month or give free education to your kids or whatever it is you want for free, then guess what? You make yourself subject. That's how you, everybody says, you know, like they're just, they're just seizing power. No, no. You're making yourself subject. So, anyway, that conversation went on and eventually we got down to the American Creed. And, uh, 
when I posted that, I, I haven't seen anything post since then. <laughs> but anyway, I posted the American Creed. The American Creed says, I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, and for the people whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed, a democracy in a republic, a sovereign nation. Now, did you get that? A democracy in a republic. A sovereign nation of many sovereign states. See, this was originally written back in 1917, and the guy who wrote it probably knew a little bit more history than your average high school graduate does today. But anyway, he realized that the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada before and after the ratification and acceptance of the Constitution of the United States. The states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. I'm quoting here, you know, from Clark's Summary of U.S. American Law. So, in case you want to look it up. So, anyway, uh, the states were very sovereign. They aren't so sovereign anymore because it was a civil war and a lot of that sovereignty was lost in the civil war because many of the states were conquered and then pretty much everybody was conquered by greed and avarice and sloth and and wantonness and all these things which we have articles up on all those things as well <laughs> and preparing you so anyway but the point is is that if you read the constitution you can see that it's a democracy it's an indirect democracy because you elect representatives who go off and make laws originally they couldn't make as many laws for you as they do now and now most of the laws that are made are actually regulations but you're still subject to them because you've given consent. You say, wait a minute, I'm going to withdraw consent. Well, you can withdraw consent all you want, but you can't withdraw because of debt. Because of covetous practices. You have given the government the power to borrow money to provide you with benefits. And they intend to keep operating in the red. They're not going to get rid of the debt. I don't even know they could now. But they're not going to get rid of the debt. You had four options to get rid of the debt and become free people again. And those options have pretty much all run out. <laughs> so, except for the last one, which is the, is the destruction of the entire legal system. And since the legal system is now an international system, it has to be a considerable amount of destruction. So anyway, but that's not what the program's about. So I'm just giving you kind of a heads up. Uh, I suppose somebody gave some of the Native Americans heads up that, you know, if you go around conquering tribe after tribe so that all the tribes are afraid of you because you're a big, powerful conqueror, then somebody's going to come along and conquer you. But they didn't listen. So they got conquered. You know, I mean, it, you know, you go read the articles. Uh, but again, that's not what the day's program about. I didn't even read all of the American Creed, but you can go look up the American Creed now. Because I have that as a web page on, uh, on uh, preparing you, and I have a considerable amount written below the American Creed, so that you can get a, with lots of links, so you can get and figure out what the heck is going on. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what we're going to look at today is a couple of things that are in the news. Of course, we got Kaepernick in the news with Nike, because uh, Nike made. Uh, uh, a tennis shoe, the Betsy Ross tennis shoe, 
and then withdrew it from the market. And now I heard that uh, some of the shoes are going for over $2,000 a pair because uh, everybody wants that shoe now, which is, I mean, Americans are just so subject. They're like lemmings, you know, they get, yeah, there was one black guy who, who, who picked it up. I can't remember his name. Uh, he was on with Tucker Carlson and he said, uh, you know, we used to have a, a team of shoplifters and they would go around. And it was one black guy wearing a hoodie and, uh, a young white couple that was real well dressed. And the black guy would go in there and distract the security and get everybody watching him. And the white couple would rob the store blind, and they'd meet up and split up the loot later on. <laughs> so, anyway, so they make a shoe. I assume thousands and thousands of these shoes. And uh they're going to put it on the market. They start putting it on the market, and Kaepernick says, No, I don't like it because it's offensive because it was a flag that was used when there were slaves in America. And they, so Nike says we're going to withdraw it and they get so much press. It's ridiculous. And people are buying the shoes for $2,000 now. <laughs> and, uh, so who's, who's making money? Now, I don't know. It could be that enough American people, cause I did hear some American people say they're not going to buy, what was it? Cruz? I think he came out and said not going to buy any more Nike products. No, I mean, uh, of course, the reality is, is you think, okay, so now any t-shirt with the Nike symbol on it, nobody wants to buy that. People will buy it right along with their Che Guevara t-shirts. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if anybody knows anything about history, they would not put on a Che Guevara t-shirt. A black man would never want to wear a Che Guevara t-shirt. Because Che hated black people. He thought they were animals and wanted to exterminate them all. Killed all kinds of them. I mean, personally killed them. Not just caused their death. Personally shot them in the head. And so, what in the world is a black man wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt? Because they don't know. And why don't they know? Well, they were told lies. And that's that's at least one of the reasons. The other reason is they don't want to know. They want to believe they know. And this is a big problem with modern day Christians is they want to believe they know Jesus and they love Jesus. But they don't know the real Jesus. They know the made up Jesus. And so anyway, so how did we get over there from uh, Kaepernick? Kaepernick doesn't know what America was all about. I mean, I just heard a story this week since we're going through stories this week. That, of course, I mean, everything that goes on in California is just about crazy. I mean, there's some great people in California. I'm going to actually be down in California next week sometime, or maybe it's almost a week and a half from now. And uh, they're going to spend $600,000 painting over a mural that includes a picture of George Washington and some blacks. And so that's offensive. You know, it's, it's like people being offended because... Thomas Jefferson owned blacks. He owned slaves. They don't know that Thomas Jefferson wanted to free those slaves, but it was against the law for him to free those slaves because he was in debt. He was in debt because he had dedicated so much of his time and energy to making everybody free 
But he also donated a great deal of his time and energy trying to change that law so he could set all the blacks free that he owned. He wanted to set them free. They don't know that. They wouldn't make the kind of sacrifices he made to set anybody free. But they don't know that. They don't want to know that. They want to hate Thomas Jefferson. And that's what it comes down to. Which is what our last week's program was about. You know, who killed Oscar Ramirez? And uh, drowned by hate. And they, they, and where's all the hate? Where do you see most of the hate? Actually, most of the hate's coming from people like the Antifa people, which is also in the news. They split some old man. They came up behind some old man who was trying to help somebody. And they just split his head open with a pipe or something, piece of rebar or something. I don't, I don't know what they actually hit him with, but and they, what a cowardly act! What a malicious act! And where's the outrage? I mean, Jesse Smollett goes out and fakes being attacked, pays guys to fake. You know, he, he couldn't. He didn't have enough white friends to find somebody to do this. He had to find two black friends. And he had to go clean to Ethiopia to find them. (laughs) So, uh, to fake this whole thing, to create what? Hate. That was a hate crime. His false report was a hate crime. To try to stir up people, to hate people with mega hats. What the heck is that? You know, I mean, it's just crazy. But hate loves misery they don't want a solution so this is a problem they don't want to know the truth they're afraid of the truth well one thing they don't want to admit that they might be wrong and of course they are wrong about many things but heck you know the reason i know what i know today is i was willing to admit yesterday that i was wrong that's so critical that takes humility something christ talks about And in order to get that humility and get that knowledge, it requires sacrifice. Something Christ talked about. You know, that, that's, that's one of the things Christ commanded that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before he took seven loaves and seven fishes and redistributed them. Instead of eating them himself, he gave them away to the people. Everybody knew they were in short supply of food, but he gave what he had and the apostles had, he gave it away to the people. And what happened? Now, they're all sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Suddenly, there was enough. Where did it come from? Well, they're, they're going to tell you it came out of thin air and you just made it appear. And you, you see the movies and they're just tipping over baskets and all kinds of fish and bread is falling out. And it just keeps falling out and it just keeps filling up and they don't know where it's coming from. Well, back then, they knew where it was coming from. There were, there were over 20,000 people there, probably. And we know there were 5,000 men and their families, so there's probably 20, 25,000. It's probably Feast of Tabernacles, because they were way out in the country, and that's where they had Feast of Tabernacles. And so, they were all running short of food. Well, one of the things about Feast of Tabernacles is it's a sharing time. I mean, if you read what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to come and meet and all set up tents, and share so that nobody is short and there are people sharing food at every tent and everybody is to be there not just Israelites but even the people round about we were going to have a uh, fall feast which is like our feast at Tabernacles we usually have it on Labor Day and uh, and uh, we were inviting 
you know, people out and, and somebody says, oh no, we shouldn't just fight everybody, we should just be the faithful. And this was a Bible scholar, or somebody thought they were a Bible scholar. No, it says, invite all the people round about your neighbors, you know, the people who received the red heifer, uh, which of course has nothing to do with the red cow. Uh, and, uh, but if you don't know that, you can go read an article on Red Heifer. <laughs> so, anyway. So, this whole idea of understanding, uh, what's really going on, I mean, Ka- Kaepernick is just totally ignorant. You know, we, sh- he should have our pity. You know, the, the, that he is so full of hate and anger, he can't even see the truth. I mean, you you have no idea. You know, people say, oh, because we had slaves in the days of George Washington. And George Washington even owned slaves. Well, guess what? You got slaves today. And, and of course, now when I first say that, a lot of people are thinking, you know, well, over there in uh, places like Libya and stuff, the slave markets are just running rampant. I mean, slavery was outlawed in uh, in the last country, which was Saudi Arabia by the way, in 1960. Up to that time, you could go to, you know, fly into Saudi Arabia and you could buy a slave. You know, woman slave, boy slave, man slave. They were they had markets regularly. You know, there, there were pictures taken in the slave markets. But in 1960, they outlawed it. It didn't end. They just changed it a little bit. <laughs> it's still been going on. And there's been a huge rise in that slave market today. But the reality is there's slaves right here in the United States. We don't call them slaves because involuntary servitude is illegal in the United States. Voluntary servitude is not illegal in the United States. You can volunteer into servitude and you can volunteer into servitude where you can't get out because you're also in debt. You're a surety for debt. And that's why Thomas Jefferson could not sell his slaves because he was in debt. And it was illegal to sell your slaves if you were in debt. Until your debt was paid off, you couldn't sell the slaves because they were collateral. They were surety for your debt. Guess what? You're surety for the debt of the United States. If you're a United States citizen, I mean, I'll... There are people listening that are in Australia and South Africa and, you know, I don't know where all they're at. But in those countries, citizens of those countries are surety for debt as well. And so they're all collateral for the debt of their nation. Until their debt of their nation is paid off, they can't be free. That's natural law. That's not just a legal system. But it also is the legal system. All legal systems don't include the natural law, but all legal systems come about because the natural law is already here. But natural law is based on right reason. If you don't have right reason, you're not going to get it. But we're going to give you some right reasons and talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. That seemed like a short break. Uh, or uh, maybe I just got preoccupied <laughs> Well, anyway, we, we talked about Kaepernick a little bit in his, the, the silly shoe episode. And, you know, well, you know, I don't mind those things. People can figure out what's really going on. But the idea that somehow or other that, uh, 
blacks are, you know, I mean, probably the best thing that ever happened to your progeny was that you were taken from Africa and brought to America as a slave. Most slaves were really well treated, taken care of. I mean, they had health care, guaranteed health care. They had guaranteed employment. Uh, the, the masters didn't want to see them die because they had all this investment in them. So, uh, the longevity of a black slave in America was greater than it was almost anywhere else in the world for blacks. They lived longer and they lived healthier in America. Now, yes, there was abuse, but generally speaking, it was not. Most black slaves ate at the table with their masters. Same table. That's actually a fact. So, you know, the idea that they're all being beat and dragged around in chains, no, that's not the case. Did that happen? Absolutely. I mean, blacks own blacks. Thousands of blacks uh, own blacks. <laughs> so, uh, thousands and thousands of blacks, and some of the worst treated blacks were the blacks that were owned by other blacks in the United States. Now, if you go down to places like Haiti, they even it was even worse because human life was held very cheap. But uh, anyway, uh, the actual results, David Horowitz said it once, as a result of American effort to realize the ideals of equality and freedom, blacks in America are now the freest, the richest black people anywhere on the face of the earth, including all of the nations that are ruled by blacks. So, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, the fact is a lot of the whites that came here came as uh bond servants and were treated horribly. Uh Irish were treated horribly. Chinese were treated horribly. And uh it was because people are not always nice. All people are not nice, but it's not it's not uh if you think that evil was perpetrated in this world by the existence of white people, <laughs> you are racist. <laughs> and uh, because that is just not the case. I mean, white people did more. I mean, the, whatever you want to call it, the uh, uh, Christian Jewish uh, uh, heritage uh, has done more to free people and, and create equality than almost any other religion. I mean, the Sikhs, have done a great deal along those lines of trying to create equality. Uh, Buddhists did create a certain amount of equality in their philosophies. I mean, the original Buddhists, I don't know about today, uh, because they have this very strict priesthood. Uh, in, in some, I mean, all Buddhists are not the same. That's the thing. All Christians aren't the same. And all whites are not the same. And all blacks are not the same. And all Chinese are not the same. You're supposed to be judging people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And if you're going around saying that, you know, somehow whites are bad because <laughs> they're white, you got, you got, I mean, that's what, that's the thing about, you know, wanting to paint over $600,000 to paint over a picture of George Washington because the white guy is offensive. It's insane. It shows that you are filled with hate. And that is the kind of hate that killed Oscar Ramirez. Because you don't want to see reality. You want to paint over reality. And you can't do that. That's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, Thomas Sowell, well, I think, 
you know, the, he, he was supposed to be just an economist, but he was a man of common sense. I mean, originally he was a socialist and an economist. But the more he studied, the more he realized that socialism, bad. <laughs> capitalism, good. Although capitalism in itself is not good because it's just an economic system. It requires good people to be good. Socialism doesn't require good people to be good. <laughs> Matter of fact, it, qui- it requires bad people. It requires covetous people in order to even make it work. It requires people who want to exercise authority one over the other because it requires offices of power to take away from one group and give to another. Now, a cooperative is not necessarily that. A cooperative is people getting together and working. But a socialism is not a cooperative. Socialism is about somebody having a gun to make everybody else get into line. And that was the thing with Christ. Christ was an anti-socialist, but he was for sharing. And that's what the loaves and fishes was all about. People had to learn to share. And it had to do it systematically. That's why he commanded that they sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But anyway, Thomas Sowell said there is no question that liberals do an impressive job of expressing concern for blacks. But do the intentions expressed in their words match the actual consequences of their deeds? Well, it's, you know, it's the war on poverty, which actually was designed by a guy who wanted to make black people dependent upon the government to get their vote which is Lyndon Baines Johnson. I mean, that was his plan, and it worked really good. Worked too good. But it devastated the black community. And some people are waking up now. Quite a few. I'm curious to know how many, because you can't tell by looking at the media, because the media is biased. So anyway, enough of uh, Nike (laughs) Kaepernick, but we will be talking about hate some more. One of the other stories that came up this week is that uh, has American judicial system been infiltrated by organized crime? I can guarantee you that it has been infiltrated by organized crime. Uh, but now Yale University Law School is coming out and supporting that idea that it has been infiltrated by a Sicilian mafia type people that the corruption is rampant and pervasive. I remember my brother, when he was getting his master's degree, he was taking a final exam, and there were like six guys, you know, in in the exam room, which was like a amphitheater, and they were up a little ways from him. He was kind of in the back, kind of in the middle and in the back, and those guys were even farther up. They were exchanging answers all through the test. Back and forth, they were helping each other out take the test. They were all law majors. <laughs> it was an English test. But they were all law majors. And they were already cheating. And they haven't even got out of college. <laughs> so, the the fact is, the moral values have diminished horribly in America. So, some of those guys are going to go into the judiciary. They They talk about four branches of government. And you all know the four... You know, I saw so many of these interviews of people going around, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? And, of course, somebody I saw was circulating an article I have, why do you celebrate the 4th of July? And most people don't even know why they celebrate the 4th of July. They don't know 
what happened on July 4th, or it didn't actually happen on July 4th, 1776, but the date is on the document, which is the Declaration of Independence. They don't understand the de- Declaration of Independence. They think it says something about taxation without representation. doesn't say that. In the It says taxation without consent, not without representation. When you elected, you know, I mean, they just, there's so many, you can't talk to anybody. They don't know anything about their history. I remember when they stopped teaching history in school. I discovered when they started teaching fake history in school, which was way back in 1920s, 1930s. You know, and I pointed out to somebody that democracy, uh, most of the founding fathers were against democracy until 1945. If you were studying uh, anything about this nation in history books written, say, back in the 20s or earlier than that, you would have known democracy, bad form of government. It was doomed to fail. Uh, it, you know, it never lived long. It always commits suicide. All these things were said by the forefathers. But now, democracy is what we want, and that's what we're fighting for. And, uh, and that all took place in the 40s. 30s and 40s, they started changing the way that we, uh, in, in earnest, they actually just started thinking about ways of changing the way we look at history back in 1908. But they actually really got the ball rolling by the 20s and 30s, and it was just overwhelming by it. So if you went to school anytime after 1940, you have not learned true history. <laughs> so how do you know I know history? How do you know I'm teaching you true history? Uh, well, because I actually go to the documents of the time. I go to the dictionaries of the time. I look up what people were actually writing in letters at the time. I do my own research. And then I stay up till, what was it, 3.44 in the morning. <laughs> I went to bed last night. <laughs> Putting it down at places like preparing you with lots and lots of footnotes. So that you can check it out yourself. And find out what's going on. But anyway, so there was this whole article and it's... uh uh, PennsylvaniaCourtWatch.com and uh, you know I mean there are judges who were caught taking millions of dollars in bribes to send kids to jail to keep the beds full so that the company that was providing those beds for the kids in uh, juvenile detention would get paid lots and lots of money and that evidently it was so much money they were able to you know uh Give five hundred dollars. I mean, five uh, millions of dollars to uh, uh, judges who were just sending kids to jail <laughs> so they could make bucks. You know, I mean, it says an example is it costs four hundred two dollars to file a claim, five hundred dollars for an appeal in Pennsylvania federal court. There seems to be no basis for this uh, when the employees are already paid. Through your taxes. So why are they doing it? Uh, that, that's another area. Not only are they sending kids and then they had their porn gate and kids for cash where those two county judges are, are in prison finally. And those are the ones they got. They're doing the same thing over in California. Humboldt County does it, but nobody's catching them. 
I mean, if you go over to Humboldt County and try to investigate that, you're liable to end up dead. It's a dangerous place for anybody trying to deal with the truth. So, I mean, that's just Pennsylvania. That, that's the home of the Quakers. That's the, the state of brotherly love. They're doing all this bad stuff. Uh, so anyway, it's a mess. It's by far a mess. I happen to live in the geographical area we call Oregon. And, uh, there the corruption is pervasive. But now everybody who is corrupt, they're not necessarily bad guys. And this is, this is where you, you know, I raise goats. I raise sheep. I'm also a herdsman. And what's going on and what we're doing is we're trying to separate the goats from the sheep. Now, 80% of the people in the government of Oregon who have been elected have committed election fraud. And according to the Oregon Constitution, have to uh, forfeit their office and they have committed a felony. And I, I say 80% because I'm being generous. I actually think it's probably closer to 90%. Now, that doesn't mean all these people are bad or mafia-type uh, people, you know, uh, that are co- committing corruption. But they violated the rules of the Constitution of Oregon that they are sworn to uphold. Why do they do it? Why do they think they can get away with doing it? Why? Why is that okay? <laughs> it's not okay. And uh, what it does is it sets them up so that the really bad guys, they can't say anything about because they've committed the same sin. Which takes us back to what we started talking about at the beginning of the show. The Indians, the Native Americans, in their White Pine Convention or Confederation, had a policy of manifest destiny. And Manifest Destiny conquered the Indians of America, the the aboriginal inhabitants of America, because they were going around conquering each other. I mean, uh, and now if if you're if you're a Blackfoot or a Sioux, I'm not passing judgment on those particular tribes, but the fact is that they were conquering one another. They were attacking the Cheyenne or attacking um, the uh, Pindareel or all the different Indian tribes that were smaller were in fear of these larger tribes that could come in and just take what they wanted. And, you know, I've talked about it before, Lewis Clark expedition coming across. And and the idea of taking, you know, they say, oh, the Indians didn't have any concept of property. No, they did. They had a concept of property. They didn't have a legal system that you know, made records of who's what, but they went out and pounded stakes in the ground. They left marks. This is this tribe. This is that tribe. If you weren't that tribe and you were caught, I mean, they knew who each other were by the way they put their moccasins together. That was their their identifying characteristic. The way they wore their hair told you what tribe they were in. The 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 wampum they carried on their belt told you what tribe they were in. And also, there was a look. Some of the tribes had a certain look. You could tell oh, that he's he's from that tribe because he looks like that tribe. They didn't all look alike. <laughs> so, anyway, but they, you could be uh, uh, kidnapped, you could be killed. I mean, the Indians had all kinds of slaves. 
before the first black man even showed up. And they had thousands of black slaves. Uh, they, they, you know, this idea of dominating your neighbor, taking advantage of your neighbor, forcing your neighbor to work for you, that is not singular to any particular race. All races do it. I mean, all the black people that were sold into slavery in America were first sold by a black man in Africa. Uh, who probably sold them to a Muslim in Africa, who was usually a mix of black and whites, and then sold to, you know, somebody who was a slave trader who brought him over here. And when he came over here, his life expectancy went up. Uh, now, a lot of people died working here. A lot of blacks died, a lot of whites died especially in the South where they had malaria and all kinds of other problems. Life was tough. Life was very tough. But uh, you don't have a good picture if you have a B-movie view of what was going on back then. So anyway, what we, we talked about last week is Article 2, Section 22 of the Oregon Constitution that says that an individual cannot take as donations more than 10% of their donations from outside of the voting district in which they are elected. And if they're elected to a statewide office, then they can't take more than 10% from outside the state. And almost everybody has violated that. And I have been in contact with people all over the state now because of the original article that went out on News Views. And we also have it at Preparing You. As a matter of fact, I've isolated it at Preparing You. So you can just look up Article 2, Section 22. You write two with two I's, Article 2, Section 22. I might write it both ways, so both will take you to that article. I know in that article I've got it written both ways, so you can find it. Probably just search article and you can find it. But... uh Anyway, we go through and we show you the law. It's in the footnotes. We show you that the governor of Oregon collected $20 million 20, uh, from for her campaign, which goes into an account that she can take money out. And if she doesn't spend it all on her campaign, she can just take the money out and buy herself a house with it. You know, or a condo in Europe. She can do anything she wants with it because it's in her personal campaign account. That's a lot like a bribe, getting $20 million that you can spend that money any way you want. Wow, that's cool. And the fact is, is that that's why Bernie owns three homes today. <laughs> it's not because he sold a book. It's because he is collecting millions upon millions and millions of dollars to run a campaign. And then he was pushed out and he didn't have to spend any of it. You know, he was pushed out of the running by the DNC. So he didn't have to spend it. Well, what happened to all that money? It's in his personal account. <laughs> he can spend it any way he wants. That's the way it works. You don't know that. Because the media isn't going to tell you. Because they're not interested in the truth either. You don't want to find out. Because you're not interested in the truth. You just want to be mad at uh, Bernie. Or mad at uh, Bush. Or mad at Trump. Mad at somebody. Because you're, you're, you're moving from hate. You're not moving from love. You want to know the truth more than anything. You want to do what is right more than anything. You got a chance. Otherwise, figure on being a slave. But anyway, she collected, uh, let's see, was it 7.5 million, actually more than that, 7.6 million uh, 
dollars outside of the state. And this is a matter of record. And we show you on the page where you can go look up every politician in the United States. And uh, I've looked them all a lot up. And the fact is they're taking lots of money from outside of the areas in which they're uh, running for office. Of course, that law is only for Oregon, although there are restrictions in all other states. But what happened was, in, uh, and this is where uh, I found out additional information. I kind of knew this because I, I looked at the three cases that were involved with challenging, uh, supposedly challenging Article 2, Section 22. They did not actually challenge Article 2, Section 22. Somebody brought an action and asked for summary judgment because they said their rights were violated. And they got a summary judgment. The defendant in the case was the Secretary of State. I have since seen the Secretary of State at that time. He's not Secretary of State now. We have a different one who was appointed rather than elected. But, and he was, hasn't been the Secretary of State for a while. He originally was a congressman, but he became Secretary of the State at that time. But he's actually, but I, I, I won't tell you what he's doing. But I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> we won't tell you in the show. I'm hoping to make videos because this can get so complicated you need to have some visuals along with this. And so we're going to make some. And realize the whole reason we're doing this is so that you understand the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. And why the, most of the designs, the forms of governments of the world are a bad idea. And they're a bad idea because they create offices of power where men can exercise authority one over the other. And even when you don't create those offices of power, people still want that power and they start usurping that power. And the checks and balances that they were talking about don't take an effect. So what are the three branches of government? Uh, judicial. Uh, uh, legislative and the executive. You know, in the case of the state, it would be the governor. And that executive branch, all those other people that are in that executive branch. Legislature, that would include the Senate and the Congress. And the judicial, well, there's lots of different courts. You know, district courts and superior court and local courts and justice of the peace. All different. But all part of the judicial branch. Well, there's actually a fourth branch of government. Did you know that? you know who the fourth branch of government is? And this is, goes for the United States and for the individual states. There's a fourth branch of government. So do you know? Are, are you thinking? Who? Who? What? Is this fourth branch of government? Because they always tell you there's three branches. Well, if you read the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Oregon, you kind of see that there are three branches of government. But there's a fourth branch that is not a party to the Constitution, or at least originally was not a party to the Constitution of the United States. And so, therefore, it's not listed as the three branches of government because they're talking about the government of the United States. They're not talking about those that are not a party to the Constitution. Who's that? That's the people. <laughs> the people are the fourth branch of government. Now, all people are not equal. All people are not the same. 
All people are not sheep. All people are not goats. Uh, and we're separating now metaphorically goats from the sheep. The goats are the stubborn uh, group that go around and do anything they want. And they they don't listen to reason. They listen to their bellies. And they, you know, like I say, goats, their their good qualities are their bad qualities. <laughs> their good qualities that they can go almost anywhere and eat almost anything. And their bad quality is that they can go almost anywhere and eat almost anything. <laughs> because they'll ruin your orchard and they'll ruin your garden and they'll ruin your haystack and... And so they, they will do all these things unless you put fences up that they can't get through. So you have to restrict the goats because they're just going to do what they want. So that's the goats and the sheep. Now sheep, they will, you know, that that's the story that supposedly if you just lay your hands on a sheep, it'll lay down and it will be still and you can shear it. We just sheared all our sheep uh, this last week here at the church. So you know, that just had to lay your hands on them and they would lay still and you share them. Well, it actually isn't quite that way. Like somebody told me that once a Jehovah Witness was here watching the shearing sheep and they said, we read in the, whatever it is, the tower or whatever their little magazine is that all you have to do is lay your hand on a sheep and it just lays still and you can share it. I says, well, sort of. Some of the sheep you have to lay your hands on a little bit harder than others. <laughs> So anyway, because uh, they don't, but that is a characteristic. And if you ever have to butcher a goat, you have to butcher a sheep. When you butcher a sheep, you take them under a shade tree and you set the throat and you butcher the sheep and the blood runs out into the ground. And then, But it just lays there. Not so with a goat. <laughs> That's not what happens with a goat. They're screaming and yelling and everything. But anyway, we'll have to go into that some other time. This next hour, we're really going to get into some new stuff to show you how the kingdoms of the world works and the kingdom of God works. So be there. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, there was a series that came out uh, February 15, 2019. It was uh, came out by the Oregon Live, which is part of the Oregonian, uh, which is actually part of the fake news that you see but they did have some real news mixing it and that that of course is very important but they came out with this whole series uh by the number polluted by money uh polluted uh uh supposedly by contributions that are causing oregon not to be as green as it used to be and everything and of course they just had this uh 2020 house bill 2020 it was supposed to be to fight global warming and what it actually was doing, if you actually read it, now people are going to tell me what it did, and they haven't actually read it. I don't put much stock in what they say because they're just they're just repeating what they heard. And yes, there is money that goes into the pockets of congressmen and senators that uh, is. Doing bad things with that encouraging them to vote and allow certain things that is not good for the organ people. But just because somebody says, Oh, we don't like that doesn't make it so that what the money that they accept is going to make them do good things. They're going to say 
We want to make Oregon green. We want to make Oregon prosper. We want to make Oregon safe from global warming. But the reality is, is what the, you know, the devil is in the details. So you have to see what they're actually doing. Who's actually paying them? Who's actually funding them? What it actually says in a bill. Because they name these bills. Uh, uh, Crenshaw just came out and was pointing that out. I've known it for years because I've read more bills than almost anybody I know. Uh, including people in government who are voting on these bills. They don't always read the very bill that they voted on. Because some of them it would take you days and days and days to read some of these bills, especially the federal bills. They're huge, giant things sometimes. Sometimes they're very small. But then they, if you don't understand how the law works, uh, you won't understand what's really going on. But they had all kinds of different stories, you know, in March and March 15th, perfectly legal, uh, weak, uh, watchdog, uh, leaving a stench. And, uh, so there's all kinds of different reports that they make. And we may go over some of those. Those would be great, uh, jumping off points for, uh, doing videos because we can show you a little clip screenshot of some of the videos and then show you what is really going on behind it because they present an argument they show you the visuals they give you a narrative but it isn't necessarily so you have to do some research to find out what's really going on in these different situations so if you went to our article 2 section 22 at preparingyou.com uh, you'll see right away that, you know, the first part is about that, what that Article 2, Section 22 does and what it says. And there's footnotes down there just so you can actually look them up. There's footnotes as to finding out that, you know, that Kate Brown, who ran for governor, took in $20 million. And that $7.6 million, $7. million of that was from outside the state. And that's in... You know, she can spend that on anything she wants. Well, that's in violation of that article. People say, oh, well, that was overturned. Was it overturned? Well, no, it wasn't. It's actually still law. And in the course of that particular uh, first part of that article, you can go down and look at the footnotes. And the footnotes, uh, you know, we have, I think footnote one is the actual, you know, article two, section 22 in its entirety. So you can see it. And then a link to campaign, uh, Kate Brown's campaign finances. And uh, also one of the Republican senators. And I, I didn't mean to pick on a Republican. Democrats are just as guilty. And the guy that I picked, I picked a guy who's actually a pretty good guy. And he's, he's, he's not five and a half million dollars over. He's only a few thousand dollars over. But everybody just started shining on. And thinking we don't have to obey that because somebody said that a court case, Benetta uh, versus Kisling, uh, overturned it. It did not overturn it. And that people who say that uh, lawyers should know that it didn't overturn it. It didn't make it unenforceable. Uh, but they, and amazing, uh, somebody gave me the name of a couple of groups last night that uh, supposedly were going to fight this and they had lawyers. And I know another group that was going to fight this, and a lawyer came down and said, oh, no, there's no point in doing this, and and uh, you should just wait. And, of course, that's why I have the next section. So, anyway, in footnotes 4, 5, and 6, at least at the moment, 
are links to the three cases that did go in front of the district court, superior court, and appeals court, and what they actually said, and that's going to go into the other uh, deals. But I talk a little bit, I've added a little bit to the this article over the first one because of the fact that I explain what a summary judgment is, because that's what they were seeking with the first district court deal was a su- summary judgment, which doesn't look at all the facts. It just looks at, you know, the, what is basically written uh, in case law and in statutes and stuff like that. And a certain question is presented to them and they rule on whether or not to give the summary judgment. And the Secretary of State said he just wanted a summary judgment. So they're not deciding or they're not overthrowing any major uh Amendment to the Constitution of Oregon. They're just deciding this case. Well, what was the case? And I, I give mention of it in this first part, but I go into greater detail. The reason was a $100 donation that somebody wanted to give somebody who had already run for office and wanted to clear up some of the debt of running for office and he needed a $100, uh, he needed some donations. And one guy wanted to give a $100 donation. And they didn't let him. He sent the money back because he had already gone over his 10%. And you have to realize that, and we go into this in, in greater detail, and I'll probably add more to it. 1975, there were restrictions on camp, what you could give in campaign donations. There's, been, there's restrictions all, as a matter of fact, there's only four states, I think, maybe five, that don't have any restrictions or very little at restrictions. All of them have them. And it's absolutely reasonable to have restrictions, but the restrictions have to be reasonable. Well, in 1975, they took off a great deal of the restrictions, and the amount of money that people running for campaign office just started going up and up and up and up. Now, inflation is part of that. But why is it such a big deal, $100? They're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on lawyer fees. Of course, they're suing for lawyer fees. Over giving $100? To a candidate, why just a hundred dollars? Well, again, you gotta look at the details, folks. You gotta know what's going on. And if you just read the district court's case, they will quote a particular case, uh, that I mentioned in this first part of the article, you know, below where they talk about, uh, where I talk about summary judgment, which is in the loophole section of the article. And that there's a reason why they just went a hundred bucks. They didn't offer a thousand bucks to pay his debt off. They only offered a hundred. And that changes the whole dynamics of what the district court can decide concerning a summary judgment. But unless you understand the details and you're used to reading these things, you're not going to get it. And we, we tried to lay it out. I tried to lay it out very simply. So that you can read it in the article and make sense out of it. I may hone this because I haven't even proofread it. I just put it together last night <laughs> at three, finished three forty-four in the morning, or at least that's when I was finally headed to bed. But you're dealing with a government of power of men exercising authority one over the other, and so you have offices of power. And you're in a democracy where 51% of the people can decide who's going to make laws for the other 49. And so these offices of power 
are sought because power is power, and power often means money. Almost everybody who becomes president or vice president becomes a millionaire. Uh, many people who are in Congress on a what is maybe considered a reasonable wage are now millionaires after being in Congress for four, eight years. How do they get to be millionaires on those salaries? Well, that's another story. We won't go into that. But this $100 is extremely significant. And if anybody has read this case before or made decisions on this case before and doesn't know the significance of the $100, well, they don't understand what they're reading. They don't understand what they're seeing. But anyway, uh, we explain it there. Just a couple paragraphs under the paragraph that explains what a summary judgment is. Summary judgment, just for the record, is a judgment entered in by a court for one party and against another party without full trial. Motion for summary judgment is a request made by a defendant in a civil action. It can also be a plaintiff. Through this motion, a defendant asserts that the plaintiff has raised no genuine issue to be tried and asked and the judge to rule in favor of the defendant without going to trial. So there wasn't even a trial. This this is not deciding the constitutionality. And they even go through, and I mention it here in the article, that, that the uh, issue of Article 2, the object of Article 2, Section 22, which is actually the object of Measure 6. Measure 6 is what brought Article 2, Section 22 into existence. And it was a measure voted in by the people, not by Congress. It was the will of the people as that fourth branch of government voted this in. Now, normally I'm advocating the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But I'm showing you how this works so that you understand that if you go down this road of electing men who can exercise authority one over the other, you're going to go down the road of corruption. Just as when the Indians decided, and I don't believe that the White Pine Confederation originally included Manifest Destiny as a part of its political principles in its legal system. I don't believe that. But the interpretation by the time the white man arrived of the uh, White Pine Confederation was that Manifest Destiny was okay. But this was corruption creeping in. This corruption creeped into the hearts and minds of the people. Or apathy, wantonness, sloth, avarice creeped in there and allowed that desire for power to creep into others. And that's what we're seeing going on. I ultimately do not blame this on the candidates who are taking these bribes. They're literally bribes. Or the candidates that are not abiding by Article 2, Section 22 fully. I'm not going to really blame the problem on them. I'm going to blame it on that fourth branch of government. Because in their hearts and in their minds, they have become slothful and avarice and uh, apathetic and greedy for gain. They're more interested in themselves, in their comfort, in their well-being, uh, than they are in their neighbors. 
They do not love their neighbor as themselves. If you tell me you believe in Jesus, but I see evidence in your life that you don't love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, if you don't attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith that Christ said that you needed to do and condemn the Pharisees because they weren't doing it, well then, you're not one of the sheep of Christ. You don't really believe in Christ. You believe in a false image of Christ. You're you you're an idolater. You have created a false image of Christ in your mind. And you say to me that you believe it, but you're actually a worker of iniquity. Because you're doing exactly what the Pharisees did. And if you go read our article on Corbin, you will know what that is. You read our article on Pharisees, you'll know what that is. We started talking about the American creed early on in the first part of the show. And and that American creed, you think, well, creed? Why does America have a creed? Isn't that something to do with religion? <laughs> well, the United States government has become a religious organization. As the word religion was defined 2,000 years ago. As the wor- way the word religion was defined 200 years ago. The United States government is a religious organization because it does what the Bible says is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. How do you do that in your society? You do that through the government. Men who exercise authority one over the other take from your neighbor or borrow against the future of your children so that you can have benefits today. You have violated at least four commandments in that process. But yet you tell me you believe in God. You tell me you believe in Jesus, but you're violating. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. But I can show you you're not. You're you're engaged in covetous practices uh, of force that take away from your neighbor. You don't do the taking away. Somebody else does that for you. And and you're greedy for gain at the expense of others, at the blood of others, because you want what you want now, and you curse your children. And because of that, you've become merchandise. And your children have become merchandise. And you, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. We always talk about the bondage of Egypt as if all those Israelites were slaves in Egypt. But... It depends on your definition of that word slave. They were voluntarily, they agreed to give 20% of their labor every year to the Pharaoh if the Pharaoh fed them today. That's the table that is the snare that David talks about, that Paul talks about. You're going to eat at the table of the Pharaoh. Well, the original Pharaoh had that big table because he saved up lots of grain and and have food to share with the Israelites. But by the time 400 years later comes along, and they're down in the mud pits, and they weren't all in the mud pits like the movie, but they were all servants of the Pharaoh. Because the Pharaoh could charge, and through crash the state this increased, but basically 20% of their, it was 20% income tax. One-fifth of their labor belonged to the Pharaoh. The other four-fifths belonged to them. Most people don't know it. You know, many slaves saved up money and bought their freedom. How'd they save up money? Because slaves were paid. They had guaranteed employment. They were paid. They weren't paid full amount. 
but they were they they were often paid. And that that was not uncommon to see them do that. Even you know Chicken George in the movie Roots, he bought his freedom. What he did is he got paid a little bit, and then he wagered, <laughs> and he ended up making a lot of money on wagers, and uh, also tips and everything else because he was a uh, he was raising chickens for chicken fighting. But he bought his freedom, so that he, people just don't understand it because they have this be, they haven't studied history, they, and that was the design to keep you from knowing history. People tell you know like I told you about the principal who said, you know, we have pretty good school system. No, you don't. I told him right out. I love the guy. But he doesn't have a good school system. If he had a good school system, you wouldn't have most of the kids graduating from it thinking socialism is good. Socialism is not good. Socialism is based on coveting your neighbor's goods and and by giving men the power to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And giving the government the power to borrow against the future, your future and the future of your children. All of this is anti-Christ. All this is anti-Christian. And if you really believed in Christ, you would know that. But anyway, back to the subject matter of the day, which is Articles 2, Section 22. The object of Measure 6 and the object of Article 2, Section, uh, Article 2, Section 22 is the the, the the contributions to the candidates that is actually purchasing influence and swaying campaigns and corrupting the high offices of the land so that the elected officials cater to special interests over the interests of the people. So the people voted in this limitation. And so why was the $100 significant? Well, do I, am I going to have time to tell you? <laughs> so I'm looking. Uh, what well, you don't actually see it when you read the district court. You see a reference to it when you read the district court uh, claims. But uh, it's and what it is is you have to go to the the Buckley case, and that Buckley case is actually telling you what is the problem. Is that uh, I was trying to think in the, do I have that? Okay, Buckley uh, concluded. And, and you won't see this until you read the Supreme Court case because they actually make mention of it. Is that the Buckley case did say that that uh, your right to donate $100 is a First Amendment right. It's an expression. Uh, and I even mentioned the fact that the Secretary of the State at the time was arguing against that, even though that's that's been well established, that these small donations of individuals to candidates is part of the freedom of expression. It's a combined freedom of expression with an actual donation, a gift. And so his argument was just completely out of line. And I, I'm sorry I have a suspicious nature, but I began to wonder, was he really on the side of the people or was he just doing a dog and pony show there so that they would lose and people would think that they had overturned Article 2, Section 22, which the subject matter is not of Article 2, Section 22, is not a $100 donation or the Freedom First Amendment. As a matter of fact, 
it's specifically not that. And you could add easily add an amendment to Article 2, Section 22 that says that, you know, certain contributions are not included in this limitation of 10%. But anyway, when you finally get on, unless you went and actually read the Buckley case, which mostly it's a Buckley versus uh, Vallejo case. Unless you actually go and read that, you wouldn't know the context of that hundred bucks offer of a donation being a First Amendment right. Because, but when you go read the Supreme Court case, they included. Buckley concluded that the statutes restricting campaign contributions to as little as a thousand dollars per contributor do not violate the First Amendment. You see, if they'd given a thousand dollars and were contesting that, they would not have probably got their summary judgment. Because it's not a violation of the First Amendment. Because a thousand dollars is not a hundred dollars. It says, however, two, two recent federal, uh, circuit court cases have ruled that statutes limiting campaign contributions as low as a hundred dollars, says it right in the case, did violate the First Amendment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why they were giving a hundred dollars. This is a plan. You had to be as wise as the serpent, but as harmless as doves. You want to be, your goal wants to be to set people free. I don't believe the Secretary of State really wanted to do that. I mean, the Secretary of State is challenging these things. And then when we get to the next section of the article, which we'll probably cover in the last section of this show, <laughs> which is, uh, the fa- uh, fake reform. You know, we always talk about fake news. <laughs> that was the new, uh, coin phrase from, uh, Mr. Trump. Uh, but, uh, now we have fake reform. And we're going to show you a little bit about how that works. But in the loophole section, I start off with good people do not need laws to tell them to act responsibly while bad people will find a way around the laws. Now, that's that's an old statement. That's from Plato. And Plato said a lot of things. And uh, some are very true. The guy was a bit of a thinker. Everything that, you know, I'm not an advocate advocate of Plato, but the fact is, is he was right. And Tacitus said something similar, and Plutarch said something similar, but so did John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, most people think that uh, Jesus came to establish the church of heaven on earth. <laughs> but that's not what he came to establish, was the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he did it by taking the kingdom away from the Pharisees, like he said he was going to do. You didn't know that he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you? And I'm going to appoint it to another? And later we knew who that was, which was his little flock. It wasn't to everybody. It was to his little flock. And later on we see him say, I appoint unto you a kingdom. But before he said that, he said, you're not to be like the kingdoms of the world. Who exercised authority one over the other? Who may call themselves benefactors. They're going to offer benefits. But the only way they can offer you benefits is to take away from your neighbor. You're supposed to be loving your neighbor. You're not supposed to be greedy for gain at the expense of your neighbor. If you if you want the benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other, you're disobeying the commandments of Christ. 
If you're disobeying the commandments of Christ, you must not really love him. You love the thought of loving Christ. But you don't really love Christ. Now that could change in a minute. You could repent and turn around and think a different way because that's what repenting is. Thinking a different way. And start seeking the kingdom of God. But I'm pointing out this corruption in the world and I, I pointed out for Pennsylvania but I'm also pointing it out for Oregon because I have, have some inside information now coming from people that are inside government that are showing me what's going on there because I kind of lost interest in that. I've been focusing on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But I have, this is my sacrifice to the red heifer. The time I'm putting into this is my sacrifice to the red heifer because I see people headed for a cliff. Headed for trouble. You know, the one guy says, well, I'm just concerned about my right to bear arms. Well, the fake reform is going to take that right away. It's going to take your right away to elect people in office who care about your right to bear arms. <laughs> they're, going to, they're, they're going to take it away. You're going to lose it. Because you just care about your little pet project. Your little pet right that you want to keep. You don't care about the rights of everybody else. You don't care about righteousness. Righteousness is not just caring about this little thing. Righteousness is across the board. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, they're evidently having some problem at the station, but we're still recording here in the, in the, the studio. So, uh, the next section is this fake reform. And I started off with uh, Psalms 26.10. And whose hands is mischief. And their right hand is full of bribes. And of course, you know, Samuel 8, they wanted a king, they wanted a ruler, they wanted a commander-in-chief to make things right was all because somebody was taking bribes. And it was actually the judiciary that was taking bribes. The sons of uh, Samuel were taking bribes. And if you don't understand what the cities of refuge were and that they were actually appeals courts and that these were people who were sitting in judgment uh, to resolve those issues through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, then you probably don't understand what that was all about because that's one of the places, you know, there were several branches of government in ancient Israel too and there are several branches of government in the kingdom of God. And there are several branches of government in the church. But the church does not exercise authority one over the other. The church is not the princes or kings. Uh, and they didn't have any of those kings in early Israel either. But they rejected God. They weren't following the ways of God. And so therefore they wanted a king. They wanted a, a, you know, a commander in chief to fight their battles for them. Because the fourth branch of government, the righteous branch of government of the people didn't exist anymore because the people were not righteous anymore. So, if we, if we realize that the Bible is mostly about government, mentioning government hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and mentioning religion five times, four times bad religion, one time good religion, and good religion was how they took care of their needy of their society, and we know that most of People who call themselves Christians today take care of 90% of the needs of the people of their society like widows and orphans and, 
you know, people who fall on hard time, they take care of them through men who exercise authority, which means that they can't really be real Christians. They're fake Christians. Because Christ said, you were supposed to do that through faith, hope, and charity, but now you do it the way that Rome was doing it through force, fear, and violence because you have men who exercise authority taking from your neighbor to provide those benefits. That's the basic subject of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But that's not the system you're in. You're in that system of force and violence. And because you were in that system, they tried to bring in reform through Measure 6 in the form of Article 2, Section 22. That was saying that candidates can't take bribes. At least they can't take a lot of bribes. They could take some bribes from within their district or from within their state. And they may not be bribes. They may be just contributions. You know, somebody wants to give a 100 bucks, but they may be, you know, $10,000 or $100,000 so that you can run your campaign. It may come up to terms like we see with Kate Brown, who I always refer to as Kate Brown, not Governor Brown, because I don't think she's lawfully the governor. I think she needs to forfeit her office. And she has forfeited her office technically because she's in violation of Article 2, Section 22. But somebody's got to do something about it. And the Secretary of State, who she appointed, because he wasn't elected, or she wasn't elected, she's not going to do anything about it. Attorney General doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. So the fourth branch of government needs to come together and do something about it in that government. If they want something done about it, I'm busy over here seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trying to help people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and organize according to the ways of Christ. I want to get people to repent and follow the ways of Christ. But if you're going to be over there in this other government of the world that exercises authority one over the other, you need to hold your leaders to the rules that you make for your leaders. When they told Israel that they were going to need to write a constitution, and they tell you this right in the Bible. You probably don't know it because your ministers don't understand what the Bible is about. But it tells you right in the Bible that if you decide to have a chief executive officer or a commander-in-chief, a king, who's going to fight your battles for you, you need to write down a constitution. You need to put five things in that constitution. And you need to read it to him every day. You need to do that. The Constitution you guys have only got one of those five things. <laughs> they don't have the other. You could get it put in there. I mean, if you put in the right measures, you could get it in there now. But you don't even know what it is you have to put in there. You don't even know that what it is that would keep you free. And that's why the Bible tells you to put all five of those things in so that you will stay free even though that you are foolish enough, because it's called foolishness, it's called a rejection of God in, in 1 Samuel 8, to even want to have a commander-in-chief, a king, a president, a governor, who can exercise authority, and certainly to have a legislature who can make laws for you, where God's not the lawmaker, some guy is the lawmaker. <laughs> so, But anyway, that's the route you've chosen, So, and you're free to do that, and since you've chosen it, you also chose to pass into law Article 2, Section 22, which they are ignoring, not because it's been overturned, but because they want to ignore it. 
So anyway, the, you know, Rob Davis, who wrote this organ piece that I talked about, Organ Live, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, they, they're advocating something that just passed at the last minute in the legislature, which was to put a measure on the ballot. And it was Senate Joint Resolution 18. And then they were putting it on the ballot. And, and Rob Davis, for the Oregonians, wrote an article, the legislature sends ballot measure to voters setting stage for campaign donation limits. That sounds like they're limiting campaign donations in this bill. <laughs> they're putting, they're actually taking off the limits that they don't want to follow. Evidently, they don't want to follow because 80 to 90% of them are breaking the rules. This is Article 2, Section 22. And the summary judgment back there in district court just said that the guy who wanted to give $100, his rights were being violated in the case of freedom of speech because the $100 is considered freedom of speech. Had he given $1,000, it wouldn't have been freedom of speech. It could have been considered a bribe and certainly a violation of Article 2, Section 22. And he could not have gotten summary judgment or should not have been able to get it. I don't know. I don't know how corrupt your judiciary is. Are they taking bribes? But this was this was a dog and pony show. They set this up so that you would think that somehow or other it was overturned. It's not overturned. It's still sitting there. Still, <laughs> and it and the object of it was not to stop some poor guy want to give a hundred bucks or twenty bucks. It was to stop bribery and the appearance of bribery. And what is proper. And if you notice, and I, I'm sure that all your constituents now have read this Hout Joint Resolution 18, right? Well, probably not. You probably, they didn't include it in the footnotes in Rob Davis's, uh, article. He just said that it's, it's donation limits, campaign reforms, voters in Oregon, one of the Americans' biggest political money states, will decide next November whether the state constitution should allow limits on campaign donations. So you think that somehow they're limiting this because, I mean, he wrote this whole article about corrupted by money, you know, that, that, uh, what was the actual title of it? Let me see if I can remember. I think I closed it already. But, uh, yeah, I guess I did. But, uh, anyway, uh, We'll talk more about it, but anyway, you know, corrupted by money is basically what it comes down to. Uh, so he, he wrote that whole series, but is it really limiting campaign donations? No, it's not. You know, Kate Brown pushed for this amendment, uh, in her campaign on campaign finances. And you think, oh, well, that's so good because she's going to tell you. Oh, we have to do something about campaign finances and we have to make this amendment because corruption is influencing the, you know, and they're, they're being, taking this big money and all this stuff. She's the biggest violator in the state as far as I've seen so far. I mean, $20 million, uh, much of it from outside the state, huge, way more than 10%. But, uh, according to Nikki Fisher and Rob Davis, She's excited uh, to see the meaningful campaign finance reform finally pass the legislative session, which is all they did was put it on the ballot. 
and they're going to let you vote for it. And now you're, you're going to watch the dog and pony show on that because this meaningful, what is it, this meaningful <laughs> campaign finance reform? What does it mean? What does it actually do? You have to actually read it. How many people will vote on it next November who won't even have read it? They won't know. I mean, there'll be something in the voters pamphlet, you know, and you know, if you're a Democrat and a Democrat says it's good, and most of the Republicans said it was good too. I mean, it was overwhelming majority. Because overwhelming majority in in the the Senate and the Congress in Oregon are in violation of Article two. They have to get rid of that article. They need to put something into law that gets rid of that article, but it was voted in by the people. So they need the people to vote it out. And that's what it's about. That's that's what it means. That's what they're going to do. Is they're going to vote it out of existence. <laughs> they're going to take it away. So it isn't there anymore. So anyway. Uh, I have all of measure 6 in the footnotes. Uh, I have uh, numerous quotes from Buckley. Uh, versus uh, Vallejo in the footnotes. And I also see that. Uh, I evidently have uh, something wrong in the coding. That comes from doing this at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, so footnote 27 seems to be interrupted. But uh, then I have the actual uh, House Joint Resolution uh, in there in the footnotes so that you can see what it is. You know, what I'll probably do is highlight the particular verses that you need to read. And it's actually in, it's changing section 8. And you, if you read all that case law, which I've read, that you'll see that they were trying to use Section 8 to overrule Article 2, Section 22. And the court did not rule in their favor. And, you know, I go through in the article showing you what the courts were looking at, what they were actually ruling on, what they were agreeing with and not agreeing with. The appeals court simply agreed that the district court had the right to grant summary judgment. They did not overrule Article 2, Section 22. People in the news, some uh, dishonest lawyers are going around saying, oh, that's been done away with. Oh, you don't have any hope of bringing this into the courts. And you may not. But if you don't, you've lost. You've completely lost. Now, personally, I want you to turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But while you're in the unrighteous mammon, you need to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Not just your pet right that you want to preserve. So if you you go read House Joint Resolution, take particular notice of the Section 2. Uh, I think it's Section A in the initiative uh, process. I can see I got a few other things I need to organize there on the page. And I will do that in my spare time. Uh, but anyway, the uh, limit to contribution, this is what it says, limit, limit contributions made in connection with political campaigns or to influence the outcome of any election in a manner that does not prevent candidates and political committees from gathering the resources necessary for effective advocacy. They just did away with Article 2, Section 22. That it, it's, it talks about limit contributions, 
but it's actually saying not prevent candidates. <laughs> so when they say the words limit contributions, they actually mean no limits on contributions from inside the state, outside the state, pharmaceutical companies, uh, big manufacturers, mining companies, whatever. From the Russians, they can get contributions from the Russians. They can get contributions from uh, Venezuela. They can get contributions from drug lords in uh, Mexico, which is what Pelosi does. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you, you talk about mafia. Uh, these guys have huge mafia connections. And many of them are appointing the judges. So guess what? The corruption is way more rampant than Mr. Davis wants to tell you. <laughs> it's, it's beyond measure. And, and honest people who go into government are shocked at the amount of corruption. Now, there's some corruption is just good old boy corruption. They don't even realize it's corruption. You know, like they'll, they'll say, well, ethics rules say that we, we can't do this, so I don't want to ever catch you doing this or saying this to a new incumbent who's coming in uh, to office. And uh, so his peers are saying this. And then they turn around and they do exactly what they said you can't do according to ethics. And they don't even know they're doing it. Because, see, they're not in love with the truth. They're in love with themselves. They're in love with power. They're in love with prestige. They're in love, you know, they're narcissistic. You know, people are surprised when they find out that the president, according to psychologists, is narcissistic. You can't hardly get to be president without being narcissistic because narcissists love narcissists. <laughs> they say they love to elect them, and that's what you have. Now, there's more to that uh, House Joint Resolution, but uh, I just thought I wanted to at least get down that far on the article. You can read the whole thing. You, you know, we're not... When you join our network, we're not a political action committee, but I know people who are, and we'll try to eventually put people in touch through our network with a political action committee so that you can go pursue liberty and whatever. We do the same for people in Australia or people anywhere. We we put people in touch with each other, but we're doing it so that you can seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and be righteous in the unrighteous mammon, so that you will be fit for more righteous habitations later on. Because, you know, the the handwriting is on the wall. It's already been set in motion. Uh, you cannot alter the future, but you can alter your relationship to the future. You can start making choices as to whether you're going to seek righteousness at all costs and sacrifice your comfort for your neighbor's uh, life and well-being or not. Uh, and so in 1 Samuel 8, 3, it says, And our sons walked not in the ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. No matter if you get Article 2, Section 22 enforced in the state of Oregon, it really is not going to solve the problem. Because we said in one of the earlier shows, you know, there's a way around this. What it, what it prevents is that personal campaign account 
they can't put millions and millions of dollars in that personal campaign account. Like I said, you know, Bernie was accumulating millions and millions of dollars. He was uh, one of the big hopefuls for the presidency and the D- Democratic Party. And he had donations just flowing in. And then suddenly he was pushed out of the running by the DNC. So what happened to all the money? What all the money in his personal campaign account? Where where did that go? Well, that's that's his. He can do whatever he wants with it. They didn't spend it on the campaigning, spend it on whatever he wants. Article two, section twenty two says the money can't go into there. You could if outside money wanted to come in and get you elected, they could still start political action committees and give the money to the political action committee. But then that money has to go to the purposes of that political action committee. It has to be spent by them. It doesn't go into Kate Brown's pocket. It doesn't go into Bernie Sanders' pocket. It doesn't go into Donald Trump's pocket or whoever's pocket. It doesn't go into those pockets. So, there's always a way around the law. Laws are not going to keep people moral. But your care for your neighbor, your care for righteousness, you're willing to sacrifice for righteousness for the sake of others, not just for the sake of yourself. Everybody wants to be treated well. But do you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself? This changes the static receptors of your brain so that you will now begin to see what you could not see before. When you start caring about others as much as you care about yourself, in order to do that, you're going to have to forgive others. You're going to have to forgive the congressmen and senators who are in violation. You may hold them to account because you have to hold them to account if you want to hold the the really bribed, real bribe takers to account, you have to hold them to account. Uh, so they can't run for office again. Kate Brown can't run for office again. Not for governor. But if you actually put this in place, you might start waking up people and goats will become sheep. <laughs> sheep of righteous king who are doing righteousness for their neighbor. That's what might happen. And more people, you know, everybody who's of the Lord come unto me, says Moses. And the Levites came out first. And those Levites, uh, because they were going to abide by the law. They weren't going to create this walled-in camp. They weren't going to create the golden calf, which was nothing more than a central bank. You want to find corruption, you'll find it in your banking institutions. You'll find it in your courts. We can find it in your legislature. And certainly you're going to find it in your chief executive offices. And uh, uh, that's just the way it is. That's that's the nature of things. Once you go down a certain road, you're going to end up in a certain place. You know, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. It's all about direction. You going towards the kingdom of heaven, then you're going to be going towards a place where you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. If you want to go toward Rome, then you care about yourself, your little pet peeve, your little pet project, your little pet right that you want, your little comfort zone. You know, you want everybody else to shut up and nobody say anything that you don't want to hear. Now we see how ridiculous that is and we see it pervasive. Now in the media and in college campuses and everything else, 
But what is it that you don't want to hear? I mean, we talked about at the beginning, you know, is the United States a democracy or a republic? Well, what's a republic? Let's look at the word. Let's find out where the word came from. What was a republic 200 years ago? How did they define it? Because today, the definition of a republic is really the definition of an indirect democracy. You know, they call it a constitutional republic. But they're really describing, I mean, that's what the Constitution describes as an indirect democracy. When I talked about the fourth branch of government was not a party to the Constitution. We have articles up to show you the people were not a party to the Constitution. So when it said, we the people, at the beginning of the document, that we the people in the United States was not the average American. He was not a party to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, is the Congress and the Senate and the President and the Attorney General. Those are the people of the United States. It wasn't you back then. It is you now because you're all 14th Amendment citizens. Now you become a party to it. But the key thing is not the Constitution. It's not the laws. It's not the regulations. It's not the articles and sections of articles or House Joint Resolutions, or Senate Joint Resolutions. The key is righteousness. So what does that look like? In order to see that, you have to repent. And repentance, what is the first sign that you are actually are repenting? Instead of just caring about yourself, you're going to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. This brings about a changing of the mind. We had a conversation here We're looking at all the different things that are going on. You know, the same people that want to give health care to the illegal immigrants that come across the border. And actually imagine that the United States can do that for the whole world. Somebody actually said that. We could give health care for the whole world. You can't even give health care to the, the street people. <laughs> you're, you're, you're borrowing against the future of your children by trying to do what you're doing now and what you're doing now isn't enough. How do you how do you deal with this? But the same people who want to give health care to them also want to kill babies at nine months in the womb. And they're okay with letting the babies die if they come out alive. Just sit there and die. Even euthanize them. They're okay with that. Infanticize them. Kill them. But they want to get, oh, we can't just leave the immigrants, uh, you know, illegal immigrants. We have to give them health care. Of course, now, there's health care and there's the guy that you find in the ditch. I mean, I, I know a guy, nice guy, who wanted my son to marry his cousin so that she could come into America and get free health care. Because she had a bad hip and they, they were going to operate on it and fix her hip. I mean, she was getting around and everything. He was saying that she was really a good cook and everything. Because <laughs> uh, the guy had asked my son, he says, you do me a favor. My son said, sure, anything. He says, marry my cousin. He said, oh, not that anything. <laughs> and then he presented, you know, marry her so that she'd get in here and get free health care. Well, now she just moved to California. <laughs> she can get free health care. The, the can of worms that they're opening up by saying these crazy things and doing them evidently is insane. 
But see, it's the only way that they can get votes because they're trying to get them in here and then not have voter reform and then they're all going to vote for the Democrats who said you can have free health care. They're bribing the voters. They're not only taking bribes to get elected, they're bribing the voters with your money, your tax money. And so it's a mess because there is no morality. It's corruption has seized the land. It seized the hearts and minds of the people. If you, if your mind has been seized with some of these corruptions. And so if you want your mind unseized, you want to be free of this seizure of the mind. You have to start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And that's why Christ made the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ required that his apostles make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So they start taking care of one another instead of eating the free bread of Rome. Because it would change their minds. Until then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.